All right, hello and welcome to another episode, a special episode of the RSL Random Fan Podcast. I am joined by Gary Smith uh, from, where do you live, Gary? At Woking in Surrey in the United Kingdom. Thank you. I couldn't remember that. I knew, I was going to say you lived in Crawley. We don't live in Crawley. You just, you uh, do the commentary for Crawley Town FC over there. So one of the reasons we started this podcast was to get to know people, especially those that like Real Salt Lake, but also to find out about the other teams that they might like. Because in soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, many times you can have multiple favorite teams and that's that doesn't seem to be against the rules, right? So we have, uh, I'm a huge Real Salt Lake fan, but I'm also uh, very much a Crawley Town FC fan. And I talked about how I came to uh, love that team uh, several years ago. And that's what one of the reasons we thought about the podcast. Let's interview and talk to people about their love of Real Salt Lake and also about the teams that they love that may not be Real Salt Lake. We talked about... We talked with uh, in an earlier episode with Trey Fitzgerald from Real Salt Lake and found out uh, how he got into soccer and his love of soccer beyond Real Salt Lake. And now I thought we'd talk about um, Crawley Town FC or at least Gary Smith. And I'll tell you how we met. I met. Uh, we haven't really met other than over the internet. I started following Crawley and watching them on the I Follow Crawley um, network that they broadcast the games on and Gary Smith was is is was and is the voice of Crawley Town and during the games I would tweet and tweet at them and then they would read my tweets miraculously and I, I was uh, I I was enamored with the size of Crawley Town how it's a it's a small team and that you really can have uh, no, not, I don't know about an effect on the team but you you can be a part of the team especially with these small teams and it reminded me a lot of Real Salt Lake when they came to town and, and MLS and how small or how close you can get to a club early on and through uh, the life of a team. So that's kind of the background. And so, Gary, I'll ask you uh, uh, maybe to introduce yourself a little bit and uh, what you do and uh, how you um, maybe uh, started gotten involved with uh, Crawley Town. Okay. Um, well, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. A good morning, whatever time it is that you're listening to this. Um, as Brant rightly says, uh, my name is Gary, and I'm the I follow commentator for Crawley Town Football Club uh, in League Two in the English divisions, which is the uh, the lowest division of the professional ranks. Um, just sits above the the non-league in the in the pyramid uh, of English football structure. Um, I've been commentating now on, on Crawley Town for the last four seasons. Uh, and as I say, I do the commentary for the iFollow service, uh, which um, subscribers can pay a, a relatively small fee to tune into the commentaries and either be able to uh, listen to or on some occasions watch the action as well. Um, I know that a couple of seasons ago when fans weren't allowed to be going to games, the availability to see games as opposed to just listen to them um, was a lot more available to allow fans to sort of stay a bit more tuned in with what their team were doing and how they were playing. Um, but I also provide the the updates for BBC Radio Sussex and BBC Radio Surrey. 
um, Crawley being based in West Sussex. So on a Saturday afternoon, as much as my commentary is, is going out via the club website and the iFollow service, uh, I'm also tuned in to what's happening in the studio, um, which is in, in Guildford in Surrey. Um, and I have to provide a couple of previews of the game and talk about the team and the changes to the team from the previous week. Uh, and then anybody who's listened, I'm sure they will know that I do a couple of previews in terms of talking about, you know, head to head of the games, Crawley's opponents for that day, maybe how many changes that they've made. And I have to make a prediction that 95% of the time I get horribly wrong come the final whistle <laughs> about what I think the score is going to be. Um, yeah, then I just have to keep an ear open for that during the course of the day. So I've, I've been now with BBC Radio Sussex and BBC Radio Surrey for eight years. I did four years of uh, covering Woking in the National League, um, in the, that's the top flight of the non-league football. And then, as I say, I moved on to Crawley uh, four years ago. I had a few games where uh, Harry Kuehl was in charge uh, before he went, and then obviously he got replaced by uh, Gabby Chioffi. And I had a couple of seasons where I was uh, commentated on games where Gabby was managing. Uh, and then obviously Gabby went uh, and it became uh, John Yems and, and Lee Bradbury, and it's it's just sort of gone from there. And obviously the, the last season has been um, a little bit up and down. There's been a lot of stuff going on off the pitch as much as what's been going on on the pitch with, you know, new ownership. And obviously the search is on at the moment for a, uh, a new manager, which will hopefully be resolved soon. And um, it, it, I think it's going to be a, a very, very exciting time going forward for the club. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting back behind the microphone sort of mid-July when the the pre-season friendly start, ready for the, the season to kick off again towards the end of July. And I, I'm, I'm very, I feel very fortunate to be able to call the action. I know a lot of people would like to be able to do it and I feel very fortunate and I'm always very thankful that people take the time to, you know, turn on their computers and, and listen into the action or, or watch the action, whether it's Tony Vetsy and I at a home game or Ken and I at an away game or some other people that have helped me out and uh, you know, the likes of yourself, Brent, I know that you get in touch on Twitter and there's some other regular people who get in touch on social media as well. And I'm I'm always uh, feeling very, very honoured to be able to pick up the mic and call the action. And I'm very, very fortunate that, like I say, people take the time to, you know, turn on and, and tune in and, and even get in touch with me to to let me know. And, uh, you know, a couple of seasons ago, like I say, when, when fans weren't allowed into the grounds, and uh, I wasn't allowed to travel to away games to, to commentate on away games. So at home games, I was calling the action for both sides. Uh, and I had some some very, very nice feedback uh, from away supporters um, about the commentary, which, which is always very nice to hear. You, you hope that it's going across well, but you're never really too sure. So to get feedback from whether it's Crawley fans or fans of Port Vale or Exus or whoever it may have been at the time is, was always very, very nice to hear. And I'm, yeah, I mean... Uh, a very, very fortunate position, I feel. Well, thank you for that. You do an amazing job, and I've always, and that's one of the things that drawn me to you, um, the Crawley Town games, uh, how well you call the games, and how I enjoyed your style. Um, I think you have a great style, and I appreciate that. I really do appreciate you. I probably will keep saying it, but I really appreciate you being on the podcast uh, with me today, and hopefully... We'll bring something different to the podcast in Salt Lake. There's a whole, there's quite, there's a few RSL podcasts, but none of them have somebody of your stature on them <laughs> so far. <laughs> but let's. Uh, Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, let's get back to to you. And I'm just curious, how and when did your? I'm going to assume you love soccer. 
since uh, uh, you called the games and you're a Brentford fan. But how did that start? How did you get into soccer? Is that just like uh, a rite of passage where you're at? Yeah, I think so. Um, it, it just sort of, I'm the, I'm the youngest of, of three children. My older brother and my older sister are both uh, big soccer fans as well. Um, my brother's a season ticket holder at West Ham United. Uh, and my sister's a mad West Ham supporter as well. Um, her love of soccer started just after England had won the World Cup. And she sort of said to my dad, who's a decent team to support? And I think because England, when they'd won the World Cup, had had Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst and, and Martin Peters in the side. He sort of said, you could do a lot worse than supporting West Ham. Um, so they both went that way. But my, my love of football, I think, yeah, just stemmed from my dad and my older brother and sister. Um, obviously, I had the opportunity to play at school. And I got into playing for the school team uh, and then sort of progressed to play for the borough, uh, you know, the, you know on, a, on a sort of bigger scale and things. And I, I worked my way through and I, I played um, two or three seasons of playing semi-professionally uh, as well. Um, at a relatively decent standard. And I did a little bit of uh, sort of junior management as well when I was sort of in my mid-twenties um, and things like that. Um, Any my, team my we'd know a, that a you pro- played for? Big pardon? Any team that we'd know that you played for, semi-pro? No, no, no. No, I don't think so. No. I mean, I, I did a couple of seasons at a, a club called Chertsey Town. Um, they're a... Churchy Town? Well-known Chertsey. C-H-E-R-T-S-E-Y, Chertsey Town. Um, they're fairly well well known around these parts. They've never made it into the higher echelons of, um, of non-league football, but I had a couple of seasons with them. Um, and my, my dad was a, a very, very good player. He was, when he was doing his national service and sort of beyond, he, he played for the Air Force and he travelled, you know, all around and was, you know, I know he played out in Italy and he played out in Malta and, you know, represented the Air Force at a, almost an international level. And um, my sister is doing a very similar thing now, actually, because she plays for the England ladies uh, walking football team. She's been capped twice for the England ladies uh, in two games against Wales. And she's just come back from uh, a tour in Cyprus, actually, where they played a couple of games out in Cyprus. Um, And she had a sort of mixed in with a bit of a holiday. I think they had two or three games and the rest of it was a, a little bit of downtime for them to enjoy it. So, yeah, that like you say, that rite of passage of, of being a, a football fan, I, I I think was was never really in doubt that I was gonna, you know, pick up the mantle and become a football fan. Um, but as opposed to my brother and sister who, who both went to follow the hammers, um, because my dad and my mum and my dad's family were originally from Brentford, uh, and I was born in in a town called Isleworth, which is the town next door to Brentford. I got taken to the bees for the first time at the age of eight. Uh, in 1976, if people want to now work out how old I am, um, <laughs> by my mum as a birthday present. And yeah, never looked back really from there. Lots of highs and lows over the course of the 40 odd years that I've been following the bees. Um, luckily, well, not luckily, but through hard work and determination and, and having a very, very good team and a very good manager at the moment, uh, securing another season in the Premier League for next season, which I'm uh, clearly delighted about finishing. 13th in the in the final table in the final ranking so officially i guess that the 13th best team in the country yeah yeah <laughs> and that's always exciting i love i am fascinated by the english pyramid when it comes and other soccer leagues promotion relegation we don't have that here in the states and i am a okay. convert to soccer um 
I uh, converted probably in my late 20s, early 30s when I really started watching the game. So all of this is new to me. It's not. It's new and fresh, and it's not boring, even though I am getting uh, older and longer in the tooth there. But so, do you have any uh, yeah. um, favorite uh, stories about uh, your love of Brentford? I mean, you went with your when you were eight, and uh, any exciting or uh, up and down the pyramid uh, for Brentford? Good, bad, yeah, good stories, bad stories. Yeah, plenty of up and downs in the pyramid. You know, prior to, to getting into the Premier League, I saw plenty of promotions and some relegations, uh, some very wet and cold, horrible Tuesday nights, you know, standing at, at home games, watching Brentford be beaten by teams like Carlisle or something like that. And I don't mean that disrespectfully <laughs> to Carlisle in, in any way, because that's obviously now a team that, that Crawley find themselves playing against. Um, but I think, you know, you, you try to remember the, the good times, so... You know, Brentford winning the title um, at Peterborough uh, back in 1992. Um, I remember getting to there. Um, also back in, uh, two, uh, when was it, 99, possibly, winning the title at Cambridge. It was a winner-takes-all match where um, I think we had to win. Cambridge could get away with a win or a draw, and they would have won the title on that day. I think. Brentford what league was that? Promotion. That was going out of League 2 and into League 1. Um, so yeah, the bees were under the managership of uh, a gentleman called Ron Nodes at the time, who was like a, a, a chairman stroke manager, was doing sort of both jobs. Um, and courtesy of a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Lloyd Owusu, who is a, an absolute cult hero at Brentford, uh, Brentford managed to win the game by one goal to nil and therefore picked Cambridge to winning the title. Um, we had a fantastic FA Cup run. Uh, back in 1989, where the Bees got all the way through to the quarterfinals before losing to Liverpool at Anfield. Um, so back in those days, obviously, you know, last season and the season coming, Brentford going to Anfield is going to be a league fixture, um, which is, you know, incredible to think of. Um, but back in those days, uh, this was before the Premier League. So Brentford would have been, you know, third or fourth division as it was then. Fourth division equates to League Two. Uh, where Crawley are at the present time. So for Brentford to, to get through the rounds that they did, and we beat Manchester City in the fourth round, and then we won away at Blackburn Rovers in the fifth round. Then we went on to Anfield, and that was just incredible experiences because I went, I went to every single game in that cup run. There was a couple that went to replays, and I managed to get to every single game and got myself to Anfield. Liverpool won the game by four goals to nil, but you sort of expected that at the time because, you know, they were right up here and challenging for every honour, um, you know, much as they are this season. And Brentford went there, you know, really as the underdogs. Um, and Liverpool, in their side on that day, had the likes of John Barnes, uh, Peter Beardy, Steve McMahon, John Aldridge. Liverpool fans would have seen before their side went on to play at the, the ill-fated game at Hillsborough in the semi-final uh, against Nottingham Forest. They, they they beat Brentford in the round before. But it was just a day that you could be proud to be a, a Brentford fan. And there's, there's been plenty of those, like I say, over the course of the years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm harking back to days when Brentford was sort of lower league and were facing top flight opposition. You know, like I saw us play Spurs on a number of occasions. 
Arsenal on a couple of occasions. Um, and it's it's still it's still a little bit of a pinch me moment now to think that these are now regular league fixtures that we need that we go away to Tottenham and we go away to Chelsea and we go away to Arsenal and away to Liverpool and away to Manchester City and you know places like that. Um, so there's, it's it's certainly not been uh, glory all the way. You know, I've seen some relegations. I saw us play at Bristol Rovers and get relegated. I never saw us get relegated out of the Football League, but I saw us I saw us drop down into League One, and then I saw us drop down into League Two. Saw us lose at Bristol Rovers. Saw us lose at Crew for that to happen as well. Crew Alexandra. Um, and so now I think the the moment is is now for Brentford fans to enjoy, you know, everything that that can be reaped now from from what the owner. Matthew Benham has, has put into the club over the last 10 years. You know, we, I think it was the anniversary recently of uh, nine years ago that Brentford lost at Wembley to Yeovil to go into uh, the championship. And if you look now at what's happened in the nine years, the Bees have sort of gone on and now sit in the Premier League and Yeovil are a non-league side. Um, and I think that's just down to to good ownership, good management, uh, getting in the right players, maybe not always spending huge amounts of money, but making sure you get the players in that are going to work within the, the structure and the framework of, of what the club want you to do. It's all very well throwing money around and being able to buy players for millions and millions. But, you know, unless you've got the sort of manager of the calibre of someone like Pep Guardiola, then those players are not always going to come in and automatically form a a winning team, are they? They, they no. need to be coached and trained, you know, in in very much the right way. I think so, of yeah, uh, there's been put, there's been put plenty of lows, but um, I'd like to think plenty of highs as well in my forty odd years of following the beast. Yeah, that's great. I was reading some stuff about uh, Brentford, and they are they're a slow and steady rise and very well thought out um, mm. plan they have that's brought them up to the Premier League. And then it was, it was mm. we had Oldham this year that went out of the the English Football League, right? It's the first time they'd been out in, like, ever. And they're the first Premier League team that yeah. – uh, team that played in the Premier League to drop out of the top four leagues in in England, which mm. is – there's no guarantee when you're in the Premier League that you're going to stay there. It's not going to – you're probably not going to just fall out immediately, but if you're not doing things right, your team can end up a mess, and before you know it, you're you're playing against Crawley Town and, and below, right? Well, there's also no guarantee that when you drop out of the Football League into the National League that you're going to come straight back up again. I think those are quite rare occurrences. I think Bristol Rovers did it a few seasons ago. But when you look at the National League, it's almost like a League 3. I mean, Stockport County have, have won it. They're going to come back up. Uh, and good luck to them next season. That That's, you know, just a few miles down the road from Oldham. So travelling-wise for Crawley fans and, and commentators, that's a very similar journey that we're going to have to make. But it's going to be interesting now to see who wins the playoffs to come up because, you know, when you look down the rankings, there's the likes of Wrexham, there's Chesterfield, they're a former football league side. Stockport, as I say, have won it. Yeovil are in there. Dagenham and Redbridge are in there. Even down to, you know, our local sides like Aldershot Town, they're a former football league side. There, there's so many in there. It's it's very much like, a, like I say, South End United even. They went down, didn't they, a couple of years ago from League Two. Grimsby Town, they're in there. It's 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 very difficult to get yourselves back up. Like I say, it's, it's few and far between teams that drop out of the football league 
suddenly coming straight back up again. It's it's difficult to do, and it's a it's a tough old league. Like I said earlier on, I I watched it for four years up and down the country with Woking, Torquay United. You know, there's another one. Used to be a football league side. I've I've commentated at Torquay a few times. I've been there as a fan to see the bees a few times as well. They will probably feel like they deserve to be back in League Two, but just because you you feel like you deserve it, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen for you automatically. And you've also seen teams tumble out of League Two into the National League and then drop further down the pyramid. You know, Stockport, have, I think, worked their way up from the National League North back into the National League and now back into the Football League. Um, and they've got Dave Challoner at the helm as their manager. So it was no surprise to see that they secured the title, you know, and that they were knocking on the door all season long. And I think there'll be a, a welcome return to League Two next season and a, a, a tough opponent for Crawley. And I wouldn't be at all surprised next season if they're knocking on the door of the playoffs again in League Two. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating. It, like I said, I, I I watch it all the time and I'm always amazed learning uh, the great names they have over there. There's some awesome yep. names for four teams and towns that uh, we love to talk about. Uh, but also, the, you would... You don't do not see that in American sports. There's a lot of soccer fans, football fans in America that don't think we will have made it until we have promotion and relegation. But I don't think they understand. Number one, we we just don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the amount of teams. I guess you could probably get to the point where you have uh, like MLS one or MLS two, and you uh, drop up and down, but. We just don't have the infrastructure, I don't think. And I don't think they have the money. Uh, might be if we get a, a more lucrative TV deal where there's a lot more money in the sport. But these owners are paying $300 million plus now to get into MLS. The last thing they want to do is get relegated down uh, and kicked out of the league. So I think we're a ways away, but I do love promotion and relegation, especially in England and some of the other leagues where it's been established a um, hundred years longer than what we've had in in the United States. So, um, do you have any thoughts on uh, who's getting it promoted into uh, the Premier League this year? We're down to Nottingham Forest, who was one. This is a, they're another uh, interesting team, right? They were they were one of the top teams in the, not the Premier League, but the top level of English football for a long time, and then. They haven't been back for 30-plus years, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, they face Huddersfield, don't they, this weekend um, in the, in the, what they call over here the, the £90 million shootout to get into the Premier League. Um, obviously, I, I had a big eye on it last year because Brentford were in that final to get themselves into the Premier League when they were um, able to defeat Swansea. And strangely, the, the manager of Swansea on that afternoon is the manager of Nottingham Forest this coming weekend, um, Steve Cooper, who's done an amazing job since going to uh, the city ground in, in Nottingham. I don't think they were anywhere near the playoffs even uh, when he took over. Um, and they are two sides that have been in the Premier League before. And Nottingham Forest will always be associated with the uh, the wonderful Brian Clough, um, who took them from um, being just a, a very average sort of second division side as, as it was then. Uh, threw into the first division as it was winning the first division at, at the first attempt in 1978 um, to then go on and win two European Cups uh, in succession. 
uh, which is an absolutely incredible achievement. And so if I had to fall on one side of the fence or the other, and I don't mean it disrespectfully to, to any Huddersfield fans, but I, I think I'd like to see Forrest back in the Premier League. Um, I think in all, but, in all but name, they are pretty much a, a Premier League side. Like I say, Steve Cooper has, has done a wonderful job. And I think the run of form that, that, that they were on, taking them into the playoffs, I think they might just slightly have the edge over Huddersfield um, this weekend. But, you know, may the best team win. Yeah, uh, Huddersfield, I... they're a former Premier League side as well. So if they do it, it'll be, be good to see them back. I'm sure their fans will be as, you know, they're, they're a huge club, Huddersfield, with a, a big, you know, football in, in Yorkshire, up in, you know, up north where, where that is set with the likes of, you know, if they were to come up, then you'd have the likes of, Huddersfield versus Leeds United as a, a derby next season, which would just be, uh, you know, phenomenal because, you know, football up in that part of the world is, is you know, like a religion, really. So the Yorkshire people will be, I'm sure, right behind Huddersfield, you know, come this weekend. But um, it's an interesting one because obviously there's the, the connection with Forrest and, and Brian Clough, like I mentioned, to try and get them back in to the Premier League. And then Brian's son, Nigel, is the manager of Mansfield who are battling it out at the weekend as well to try and earn a place in League One for next season against Port Vale. Yeah, I'm going to be watching uh, as many of those as I, I possibly can. I watched the uh, – they already had the League One final, right? Um, yeah. And I, and I watched that 2-0 yeah. uh, for – oh, I can't remember now. Yeah, 2-0 to Sunderland, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Sunderland. The, another storied team that spent 87 mm. years in the premier, in the top flight. And is working mm. its way back up. So, mm. but I will be leaning towards Nottingham Forest. Real Salt Lake actually had a player transferred over there when they were in the championship several years ago. Robbie Finley. Okay. He was a okay. uh, incredibly fast, fast player. Um, uh, actually played for uh, the U.S. in uh, a previous World Cup, I think 2010. Uh, okay. But it was one of our favorite players over here. Uh, mm. Needed to work on his touch. Didn't quite have the the touch that you'd expect, but he was lightning fast and a fun player to watch. So yeah, that's always exciting. I, I was look. I'll be looking forward. I'll be watching the Mansfield, uh, Portville game. I did watch the Brentford game the previous year. My wife and I watched that. That was exciting. It's always exciting to see um, the teams go uh, moving up, especially into the Premier League. I know we watched uh, one day one a uh, couple years ago. We watched Tranmere. Uh, I can't remember who they were playing, but they got promoted up into uh, League One. And I, I remember it. My wife and I were watching the game, and uh, they had a center back who looked like he was 75 years old, uh, with the gray hair, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, he didn't have yeah. the uh, kind of. He looked. He reminded me of like Akin Fenwa from uh, Wickham, the 40 year old mm -hmm. striker that uh, looks like he uh, is a bodybuilder. There's a yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of exciting things to watch. So. Um, Moving on, let's talk about uh, how you got into commentating. Um, is that a lifelong okay. dream? Did you fall into that, or you know? Yes, I, yeah, I did. I did sort of fall into it in a way. Um, I guess it all stemmed from kicking about over the park with a, a bunch of mates. Um, there used to be at the weekends over here, there used to be match of the day on a Saturday night, which is obviously still on that you can still see. And then on a Sunday, there used to be a program uh, called the big match. Um, and you'd have one main match 
to watch and then highlights of other maybe sort of regional games. So maybe a game from Norfolk or a game from Merseyside or a game from Yorkshire or whatever it may be. Uh, and then between that programme finishing and Sunday dinner being ready, you and your mates would sort of have an unwritten rule that you'd all meet over the park and you'd try and recreate what you'd just seen on the big match. Um, and I would just try and add in some vocals to it. I, I never dreamt of, uh, of doing it, you know, as any sort of job or, or career or anything like that. Um, but I'd always sort of done it. And then it, it really started. Um, a friend of mine who was one of the people I used to kick about with, he works or he did work on the radio uh, in Milton Keynes over here up in Buckinghamshire. And he invited me to uh, go along and provide some reports for the MK Dons, um, who I think have just lost out in the League One playoffs, haven't they? They got to the semi-finals and they yeah they lost out in the playoffs. But obviously we we think more about them now because Max Waters, former Crawley, ended up there for a little spell, didn't he? Scoring some goals. Um, he asked me to go along, this friend of mine, and provide some reports. As I say, not a full match commentary, but just to provide provide some reports because I think there were three home games in the space of about four or five weeks where the person who was regularly doing it was going away. And he said to me, I know you can do it from when we used to kick about in the park and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I did that and it gave me a little bit of a taste of doing it. And then he moved from the station in Milton Keynes to a station in Oxford, where he's still based at the moment. He does their breakfast show. Um, and they used to have a show on a Saturday afternoon that was called The Big Banana, where they covered the Oxford United games because Oxford played in all yellow. Um, and I got involved in that for a season as well. And at that stage, Oxford were, they were top flight of the non-league as well. And they're another example of a team that have worked their way back into the football league after dropping out. But it took them a couple of spells as well. Um, then my children started to come along and I, I, I dropped out of things for a little bit. And then I attended a, a commentary workshop in about 2012 or something like that up in Derby. Um, two guys that work for BBC Radio London were asking for people to, to go along and just try and learn to become a football commentator. Um, I went along to that. What they did was we had like a workshop in the morning where we talked about what makes a good commentary, what's the difference between a radio commentary and a television commentary, um, who our favourite commentators were, examples of great pieces of commentating. And then in the afternoon, the, the guys that, that organised the day had organised a, a five-a-side competition and they set up like six or seven commentary booths along the sport talk. You commentated on a certain number of games. Then within a couple of weeks, you got sent a, a CD of all your matches. So like a 40 minute thing of, you know, a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there, but a little bit of all the matches that you've done during the course of the afternoon. Um, and then I just sort of knocked on the door of the, the sports editor at BBC Radio Sussex and BBC Radio Surrey, which is the, the same guy. I knocked on his door for about six months or so, you know, in terms of emails, tried to make phone calls, whatever, because people kept saying to me at the workshop, you can, you can clearly do it, Gary. You've clearly got like a natural thing of, of being able to do it and the ability to sort of remember people's names and things, which I guess is one of the prime things that you have to have is, is quite evident. And so I, I took it upon myself to, to knock on his door. And eventually he came back to me with an opportunity to go and cover a, a friendly game for Woking, um, just providing reports on a Saturday afternoon. He listened in, said to me, yeah, that's fine. Obviously, that was great. What I need to hear you do now is a, a full match commentary. So he set me up with another friendly that they were playing against a, a QPR 11. Um, 
only he could listen into it. And pretty much two or three minutes after the final whistle had gone, he called me to say, right, what I need now then is to, you need to let me know your availability because somebody else was doing the Woking commentaries at the time. And I sort of filled in every now and then, but then gradually over the course of the four seasons, it got more and more and more games until like those last couple of seasons, I was pretty much, you know, as I am for Crawley now, just the regular person behind the mic for for any Woking game in the National League. And then I, I when Woking got relegated to the National League South, I went to him to say, look, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, Tim, but I think I'm a better commentator than the National League South. And he said, I agree, but I don't know what I can do for you. And then came back to me about a week later to give me the opportunity to, to come to Crawley. Um, and here we are four years later. Yeah, four years later. Um, I was going to say, you know, I, I almost feel like I have to apologize because you're a professional. You do an amazing job and... I'm a rank amateur, but I really appreciate you letting me interview you. But, but I, you do nice. do, um, you do do an amazing job. So how did um, how did you end up at Crawley? That you just kind of um, uh, they needed a, a, a commentator, and uh, the job opened up. Well, yeah, there'd been a there'd been a all the time that I was doing Woking. There was a, a guy behind the microphone called John Barnett. Um, who's very well known. He's a, he's a big Crawley fan as, as well as being a, a Fulham fan. So I, I knew of him because obviously I can hear the voices of the other people in my headphones when I was doing the Woking games, much the same as I can hear everybody now when they're covering other games. Um, he decided to, to stop. I think he'd done 10 years or more with Crawley. Um, a guy called Harry Maynard um, stepped into the breach for a season and then, like I say, when, when Woking went down to the National League South, uh, I went to my boss and said, you know, like I said to you, I, I, I think I'm better than the National League South. He said, I don't know what I can do for you at the moment. But then within a week, rang me to say, look, Harry is hanging up his microphone, I think is the term in the trade. Um, How do you fancy sort of stepping into the, the thing at Crawley? It was obviously, a, you know, a little bit of a step forward because it took me from the non-league ranks into the, the football league. Um, a lot of the grounds were still the same places that I'd, I'd been to whilst covering Woking, but some new experiences as well. Um, and, and that's how the job opened up for me. I, I, not that I sort of fell into it, but I just happened to be wanting to, to move on from the National League at, at the right time as the opportunity presented itself. And I was very grateful because above Crawley, the, the only opportunity that I'd have to move forward within BBC Radio Sussex would be uh, to cover Brighton in the Premier League. Um, and the guy who commentates on them is actually our assistant sports editor. Those are matches that are on the radio on BBC Sussex every single Saturday or Sunday or, or midweek, whenever the games are. Um, so I think in terms of how far I could go within BBC Radio Sussex, I think, you know, Crawley is pretty much as, as high up as I could go at the present time. And I'm, I'm happy with that because I, I, I've settled into things at Crawley. The club have been very good to me. The fans have been very good to me. Um, most of the comments that I get are, are positive ones. Everybody seems to like the commentary. I'm very fortunate to have the likes of Tony with me at home matches, who's a former Crawley player. I think he played over 400 times for Crawley back in the day. Um, 10 away games is, is great as well because, you know, he's obviously has a, a huge passion for the club. And I think that comes across in the commentary. Um, and by, by default, I guess I've, I've also now become a, 
a Crawley Town fan. So if if ever I if ever I moved on to anything else, Brian, they rest assured that, that they'd be one of the first results I'd be looking for. Oh, excellent. So what do you like about commentating? Um, what keeps you doing it? Um, I think it's the fact that every game is very different. I guess that's the same for any fan that watches a game or any player that plays in a game. Every single game is different. I, as strange as it sounds, I, I, love, I love doing the research that I do that goes into a game prior to a game. Um, I love the opportunity of, of visiting new places. And I think, like I said to you right at the, the top of the interview, I feel very, very privileged and very, very lucky to be in the position that I'm in to be able to bring that to the fans. Um, uh, and I, you know, people, people say, you don't always feel that you're doing a good job um, I guess it's like if you're a player, sometimes you, you know that you come off at the end of the game, you know that you've had a good game. You know whether you've had an absolute stinker of a game. It's the same when you pack the stuff away after a commentary. I do think to myself, well, if I was going to mark that out of 10, I'd probably give that about an eight or a nine. But then there are other times where you think, I really couldn't get my head around everything today. And I'd only give myself maybe like a five or a six. <laughs> I'm maybe my own biggest critic. Um um, and my wife sometimes listens in and she says to me, you said this phrase this amount of times and you said this phrase X amount of times in the first half and X amount of times in the second half. And it's it's always that, you know, what keeps me doing it is the fact that you're always striving to improve on what you're doing. You know, if you've, if you've had a, if you feel like you've had a bad game one Saturday, you can't wait for the next game to roll around to try and improve what you did. You know, and maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little bit too self-critical on that, as I say. Um, but I, I just I just enjoy watching football. So to be able to sit there and, and watch it and talk about it um, is, like I say, it's 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 just an absolute honour and it's just a, an absolute privilege. And to be able to to bring that to the fans, you know, on occasions like the, the win over Leeds United uh, a couple of seasons ago and the win over Norwich. And some of the games this season, you know, I've, I've listened back to the the goal of the season contenders that, that Crawley put out on on YouTube and the, the the highlights, you know, sort of going back over the season and everything like that. It's you don't realise at the time quite what you're saying and how much you're getting wrapped up in the game, but it's it's also trying to find that 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 one little that one little they think it's all over moment. You know what I mean by that? Uh, I think so. Go ahead and explain. So, so when England, so when England won the World Cup, that was '66, right? Yeah, and there's that famous commentary from the great Kenneth Wollstonehome to say, "Some people are on a pitch. I think it's all over. Bang! It is now." That piece of commentary is, you know, if you say they think it's all over, people will just forever associate it with that piece of commentary, and it's just trying to find that that one moment, and it's trying to express things differently you know every every time that that Crawley score a goal or or Glenn makes a save or there's a goal line clearance you know you're just trying to just trying to find those different ways of of sort of pinning I've, I've been told before by my boss to try and pin every goal if you possibly can what what does that goal yes it's it's a goal for Tom Nichols but but what does that mean in the context of the game or in the context of the season for Tom Nichols does that give him more goals suddenly this season than he got the previous season 
Does it take him into double figures? Is that the goal that's going to give Crawley three points this afternoon? You know, just trying to find a little pinhole for where that goes. And you're forever trying to just create various bits, as well as sort of concentrating on making sure you're getting the players' names right and the opposition players' names right. You're forever trying to just pin that actual moment that, you know, to, to sort of hammer that home, you know, what that goal means to Crawley and what that might mean to the fans. Oh, that's that's fascinating. I hadn't really thought about that, but that is some great info. Now I'm going to be listening to games and looking for the pins <laughs> for when they try yeah. uh, try and pin them. So let's talk about um, Crawley Town now. Um, they've had some uh, good seasons. They've had. They're still in the uh, in the league two. They came up about yeah. ten years ago, ten fifteen years ago out of uh, the non-league into um, the League 2. And then they were actually promoted. This was before. I didn't become a fan of them until about 2016, 2016. Okay. And I think it was a season or two after they had they spent a season or two in League 1, and then they've dropped back down to League 2 and trying to get things figured out to climb up the period mid. Because that's one of the things I was trying to do. We went over there on vacation. I don't have a Premier League team. And we ended up, I just wanted to go to a soccer game, a football game in England. So we found the closest one. We were staying in Hastings. And Crawley Town was playing Luton Town. And I thought, well, whoever wins this game, that's going to be my team. But about halfway through, I was already a Crawley Town fan. I told my wife, I don't care. I'm a Crawley Town fan. Because uh, <laughs> we were at Crawley Town. It was a great experience um, in their uh, massive 5,000, 7,000-seat stadium. <laughs> and uh, just... Enjoying the game, and I th- Crawley Town did. I think they did win late. They scored a goal late to uh, defeat Luton Town, and then of course, uh, since that time, Luton Town's gone on to be pro- promoted up to the to the championship, uh, and yeah. uh, got knocked out of the playoffs this year, or they would have ended up in the Premier League, which would make that story even more funny. The fact that uh, I'm a Crawley Town fan, and Luton Town, uh, the team I was choosing be between is almost in the premier league but that's the kind of the experience i thought i want to follow a team that is going to climb up the pyramid and end up in the premier league and i'm going to guess that might not be in the cards for crawley town at the moment uh, to make it to the premier league but uh it doesn't matter to me i'm a crawley town fan but let's talk about the club and uh some of the things that make it an interesting club i saw that for this season, they have the second lowest payroll, the second lowest budget in the EFL. And and how does that, mm-hmm. what makes Carly Town maybe a little different or maybe just the same as some of the other clubs in League Two and around the EFL? Well, I think from my own personal experience, uh, Brant, um, Crawley is a, is a very, uh, very much a, a people-based club. Um, they try to do a lot of work in the community. I'm sure plenty of other clubs do the same, but maybe I, I don't see that because the work that Crawley doing things is, you know, is more the stuff that I look out for. Um, but but they're a very, they're they're, and I don't mean it horribly. They're a, they're a, maybe a small club with big ambitions, and those ambitions potentially can be realised now, going forward. I mean, you talked about being in League Two. Uh, and I think they finished uh, 12th or 13th, didn't they, this season that's just finished. 
pretty much the same as they finished last season on Six, the same number of points. Yeah, 61 points. 61 points. Um, and some people would see that as a good level of consistency. Some people would say, well, there's been no progress going forward. 61 points last season. We should have been aiming for 70, 75 points this season. But when you look at the the playing budget, then I think, and it was always said to me, the main thing at the start of every season is that firstly, there's a football club at the end of the season and that the club has survived to, to be able to still have a football club there. And secondly, that that football club at the very least is playing in League Two, as opposed to dropping out of the league, you know, like Oldham and Scunthorpe, which has been achieved easily achieved, you know, a, a comfortable mid-table finish is is nothing to be sniffed at. And some wonderful results over the course of the season as well. When you look at, you know, victories over Forest Green Rovers, um, Swindon, you know, some of the teams that got into the playoffs, Northampton didn't beat us home or away. Um, you know, Forest Green at home was a, a great victory. Some great away wins as well. Bradford away, Orient away, I think eight away victories. Um, in total over the course of the season, if memory serves me correctly. And it's a club that um, always, you know, and I could relate this to Brentford as well, it's it's very much a family-based club. Seems to me to be one of those one of those clubs where the, the breadth of, of supporters goes from children that are rocking up to maybe see their first game because parents or grandparents feel like it's a friendly enough place to, to come and see a game of football. You know, there, there's not going to be the element of, of hooliganism. There's not going to be a, a pitch invasion. There, there's not going to be anything that's going to scare away children from, from coming again. Uh, and I think in this day and age, that's, that's very, very important. Like I say, the work that the club do in the community is huge as well um, with local businesses and reaching out to schools, um, you know, even down to small things like visiting local schools to provide shirts, you know, shirts like, like you're wearing at the present time to, to local school children and offering children the possibility of, of getting in for just, just one pound or something to see a game. This is the sort of thing that's important to try and increase revenue and increase the football into the club for future generations. And I think it's, like I say, the breadth of, of people that come from from small children up to their parents and maybe onto their parents as well. You know the grandparents. You get every every age group, um, and I, you know, and it's it on their day. It's a, a a very very good level of football that they're watching as well. You know, it it's not like watching, you know, the dog and duck or something on a Sunday morning <laughs> playing against another pub side. This is a a good professional level, and and Crawley have got some. Some very, very good, very good players. Um, and some of the names that come, you just think to yourself, how on earth have you attracted a player like that? You know, if you look at someone like Joel Lynch in defence, who's played at a, a very, very, you know, higher standard of football, you, you just think, how on earth have you managed to convince him to come. Tony Craig is another one. Tom Nichols, I think, was was maybe sort of, you know, not going nowhere, but he was he was part of a, 
a bigger squad and he's, you know, some of those players where you think, well, obviously the, the, the previous managers have said to these people, if you come to Crawley, I will guarantee you football as opposed to you being somewhere where you might just be a squad player. You know, mm-hmm. I think you and I would both agree that regardless of who gets signed over the close season, if Tom Nichols is fit and available next season, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet. As would Joel Lynch, as would Glenn Morris in goal, as would Jake Hessenthaler in midfield. You know, Crawley have some some very very good players, and it, it's a it's a good level of football for people to come and watch. And it's a, a, a it always seems to me to be a yeah I know there are things that go on behind the scenes, you know, new ownership and, and goodness knows what has happened, but I think take all that out of the equation, it's a, a happy friendly football club and a happy friendly place to come and watch a game of football yeah they are incredibly nice i know uh last season i told this story on the podcast before uh we were able to go my daughter and her husband and and two of our grandkids live in cheltenham and we uh make uh, try and get over there um you know before they're all grown up but uh, we went over in august and we were able to watch the uh, went to the Forest Green game in Forest Green, which okay. um, didn't turn out very well, six to three. <laughs> Forest Green, yeah, uh, rightfully promoted, uh, excellent side, and we. Uh, I made a comment on Twitter, but um, we timed it to where we had an away game. That was my first Crawley away game, and then come back and we. I think we played Northampton uh, following, and I'd made some comments on. Uh, Twitter about being excited to be there. Picked up our tickets the next game at Crawley Town, and the Tom Allman, the general manager, had left a bag for for me with the autograph sign uh, jersey and some stickers and, and a few things and a note thanking me for thanking us for for being there. Um, yep. So and then also earlier this a month or two ago, they had a sale on the. On the website for Crawley Town Gear, so I ordered some stuff, and then they sent me an email saying my order had been canceled. So I called them up, and they uh, said because of Brexit, it was just too expensive or something to ship to the United States. But uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But uh, the very nice uh, lady that was working there said, "Well, I'll I'll find out how much it will cost to post, send it in the post to you, and." And I said, well, I'll pay for it if it's that much more expensive. And she went out of her way, went and found out how much it was going to cost. And uh, it wasn't uh, too too expensive. And they uh, shipped it over to me. I, and when I paid for the for the postage, but they went out of their way. They just didn't say, hey, you know what? We're not going to do it. And right. I've just always found it to be an amazing uh, a little club. So I love yep. crawling. So... <laughs> yeah. What about um, moving forward uh, next season? We we did have uh, John Yams as the coach, and sounds like he was no longer the coach for reasons that hopefully aren't as as bad as they sound. But with mm-hmm. the focus on being inclusive and uh, expecting more than just somebody being a good coach, they have to be not that he's not, but they have to. Uh, live up to a certain standard, and perhaps that wasn't the case, uh, sadly, um, from what I've uh, seen and read, that uh, that may be the case. Doesn't mean he's not a great guy. 
or a decent person just made some choices that uh, the club can't tolerate. And I don't think anybody can tolerate. I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. get too much into that. Um, but what do you, what are your thoughts on crawling moving forward? Especially with the new, I was excited to have the new owners wag me. I've actually yep. uh, bugged the uh, Preston, one of the owners on, on uh, Twitter back and forth. <laughs> He's been nice. And uh, looking to see if maybe I can uh, do some stuff here for Crawley, create a Utah Crawley Town chapter or something. But he's open to uh, uh, doing something like that. But it was interesting. Wag me. They're into the NFTs, um, all of that newfangled crypto stuff. And then right mm-hmm. after they buy the team, uh, the crypto market kind of tanked. And just curious to see uh, how that's going to work out. But it's nice. Hopefully they have, uh, at least that's a thought, that they have enough money that Crawley Town's going to have a much larger budget moving forward in acquiring players. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, that's what I hear. And I, the, the, Obviously, I tried to get a little bit of a feel towards the end of the season when the, the new ownership took place from, from some of the fans because the, the radio station were asking me to sort of gauge how the fans felt about the takeover and, I think most people were, were feeling, and you and I spoke before, you know, just hoping that the owners uh, get it right and don't use Crawley as a, a plaything, as it were, or like a rehearsal to move on, you know, to try and take over a, a club in a higher level of football in the future. And um, and they're American. That's another strike against them, right, for some. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in, in terms of the... You know, in terms of the budget, I, I have absolutely no idea what what that might be, and it, I, I guess part of the process that they're going through at the moment to speak to prospective managers uh, will be saying to them, you know, this is going to be your budget. Can you work with this? Um, can you not work with it? Some managers might go, no, that's not enough. I need to be able to do more. You know, whatever. Um, but I think it's it's. I think it's an important season ahead. Firstly, to make sure that the owners get it right. Secondly, that the the managerial appointment is correct as well, because I think every Crawley fan will be looking for a little bit more progression, if not pushing for the playoffs next season, then at the very least sort of moving in towards the top 10. Um, and League Two is a little bit different to some of the, to, to the other divisions, because you can finish that as, as down to seven and get yourself into the playoffs. Whereas in the other divisions, it's, you can only like top two go up and then you only get sort of third to sixth. But in Crawley's division, it's the top three that go up and then it's fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh um, who get into the playoffs. So it's not unrealistic to push towards the top 10. You've only got that little bit more to push, you know, towards getting into the playoffs. And I think that, the nucleus of the side is really there. If you if you looked along the, the spine of the team with with Glenn goal and players that we've mentioned before, uh, Joel Lynch and, and Tony Craig, you know central defenders, Jordan Tunnicliffe as well if he stays and if he's if he's fit, and then people like Jake Hessenthaler in midfield, George Franken maybe in the midfield, you know going straight through the middle of the side to the to the forward line of of Nichols Appiah maybe even Ashley Nelson as well. And then if you build everything else around that, you've got a, a very good sort of spine of the team. Uh, and I guess, you know, that there is one name that seems to be doing the rounds at the moment of, 
someone who's not nailed on to be the manager, but is is supposedly supposed to be one of the front runners. Um, I don't know whether I should mention names or not, but it would be interesting to see if that is the appointment made. How many players? Because we know that some players are loyal to particular managers, aren't they? And yes. If the manager leaves Crawley and goes to wherever, Fulham or Brighton or wherever it may be, players will, you know, follow behind. Um, so it would be interesting to see if this person is appointed, how many players would then come from their previous club to suddenly be pulling on the red shirt of Crawley. Um, you know, there will be players that are um, out of contract at other clubs in the summer that might be able to be pulled in, as it were. Um, I mean, I, I knew a couple of seasons ago through conversations with the former Crawley boss about who was going to be signed for Crawley <laughs> because he was, he was the sort of manager who liked to do his business. And he always said to me, Gary, I, I like to get my business is, is done by sort of the end of May then I can enjoy the summer. I haven't got to be looking at my phone constantly every day in June or July thinking, well, I need to get in touch with this agent or this manager or whatever. It's like, it's done. These are the players that are coming to Crawley next summer. We're just slowly over the course of the summer going to be releasing the information. Um, what you hope is that the managerial appointment is made fairly soon. Um, firstly, to give the fans a little bit of time to think about who that manager is what he's done in his managerial career previously. Has he had success in the lower divisions? Has he had success with promotions and things like that? But also to then try and get players in because what you don't want is that it's all very last minute and you're, you're bringing players in for the sake of the fact that you, you need some new names, as it were. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there'll be, you know, like there is every season, there'll be a, you know, three or four maybe players that come in on loan from various clubs. Hutchinson was a big success last year towards the end of the season, coming in from Derby. Uh, Will Ferry, um, I think he's very close to another call-up for the Republic of Ireland under-21 squad because of his the way that he finished the season when he, you know, with the formation that Crawley played, he sort of discovered his true position playing as almost like a wing-back, you know, so partly in defence and partly going forward as well. Uh, we've had some other ones, you know, over the course of the, the past few seasons as well of loanees that have worked out very well. Um, the same as, you know, Crawley players go out on loan because they're not going to make it into the first team so they get some match experience by, by going out to, to some of the other local clubs. Um, so I think it's it's important that Crawley get the managerial appointment correct. I'm sure the owners will, will obviously make the decision thinking that they feel is correct for the club, both on and off the field, and that the any incoming players are the right sort of players for Crawley and will um, work in the style of, you know, if they follow the manager to come to Crawley, you've also got to think that there's players already at Crawley who would possibly then need to adapt the way that they play to suit the way that the new coach wants to play, as it were. So there's a lot of, a lot of permutations. There's a lot of ifs and buts, but let's hope that everything falls into place and that, uh, you know, in the first half a dozen games of the new season or even in the friendlies, you can see the signs of what the new manager is trying to do and, and how that might affect Crawley in the season ahead. Yeah, and one of the players that I've always loved is Glenn Morris, the goalie. He, For RSL fans, Real Salt Lake fans, he very much reminds me of Nick Raimondo, who was uh, 
maybe not. Nick was uh, is probably still is a little undersized for goalie. Not a huge presence back there, but quick. And uh, yeah. they call uh, Glenn Morris the cat because of some of the amazing saves he makes, which are very yeah. Ramondo-esque from our <laughs> our point of view because that's the way Nick was. Okay. Made some amazing, amazing saves that uh, uh, other goalies just can't just can't couldn't do so a player that i think real salt lake fans if they were to start watching crowley town would be impressed with the goal and he would probably remind them of nick Ramondo. and hopefully uh just being a, a noob and a novice when it comes to the sport one of the things i think that uh, crowley town might need is a bit more speed up top they don't seem to be the quickest of teams and it's the same with uh, real salt lake uh they have not been the quickest of teams and Bringing in some speed, well, is always good, but is always expensive too. Mm. Ashley Ashley Addison, very very quick, and I think I've called in the commentary sometimes too quick for his own good occasionally because he gets caught offside. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's you know he he makes that run just a split second too early, but you know you know with Ashley that if he times it right and the ball is delivered correctly to him, and he's one on one with the goalkeeper. You sort of know, or I sort of think to myself, I'm probably going to have to call a goal here because he's one on one with the goalkeeper, and he's probably going to finish it. A yeah, way, you better the get way your, that he does. Get your pin ready, right? Yeah, exactly. I better get that little pin moment <laughs> sorted for uh, this is Ashley's tenth goal of the season, or whatever it may be. <laughs> so yes, exciting things happen at Crawley, and I'm excited for the next season and to find out who yeah. the next coach is going to be. But uh, yeah, absolutely. A couple other things as we get near the end here. Um, what are your thoughts about the upcoming exciting World Cup? And that's one of the things we thought would be great is to talk about moving forward on the podcast is having somebody um, on that side of the pond talking about the World Cup because uh, is it the November 25th? There's yep. going to be an important game of uh, the U.S. Mm. versus England. I don't know who you who, who you're going to pick to win that game, but uh... <laughs> I'm not saying I'm really not going to say just at the moment. <laughs> um, it, it's going to be very strange having the World Cup at that time of the year. Um, something I I don't think anybody who will be sitting watching it has has ever experienced. We're all used to the the World Cup being you know sort of June or July, as it were. Um, just trying to think back to where the last one was actually. My memory's going completely Russia, wasn't it? The last World Cup was played in Russia. Um, and England got England battled their way through to the semi-final, didn't they? Um, then went one stage further into the Euros of, of last summer. Um, so I think yeah, it's it's just gonna be it's gonna be strange having it at that time of year. There's obviously the break in the, the Premier League and you know, maybe the championship as well in, in terms of getting the World Cup done and dusted. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge adjustment for the players as well to to play in the, the humidity and the, the temperatures and everything around Qatar. Certainly for for English players who are, you know, used to playing at Crawley Town on a Tuesday night in the rain against uh, <laughs> against somebody. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting one. Um, I, you know, I I think personally, Brandon, it will be pretty much the usual suspects who might be battling it out, you know, when you come to the closing stages of it. Obviously, from a, a, a patriotic perspective, obviously, I hope that's England. Um, I hope that they at least battle their way out of the group stages uh, and maybe slightly beyond that. I think everybody is um, 
certainly hoping that um, they can at least get through to, to the quarterfinals and things. But then there are teams that, you know, over the years that there always seems to be a team that sort of surprises everybody. They're, they're a little bit of a dark horse. They, you know, they come out of the shadows and they pick up some strange results. And you, the thing is now, I think, Brent, the, the, the golf in, in world football has become so small. Um, you know, it used to be that England versus certain opponents, you know, you would think would be a nailed on relatively straightforward victory for, for England. But nowadays it's, it's just so small that, that golf, you know, and, and on, on knockout occasions, when you get to the further stages of the World Cup, you know, one unfortunate deflection for a side or one penalty that was a little bit debatable or one moment of luck or one hand of God or something as it was in 1986, um, can be the difference between progressing and suddenly being knocked out of the competition. When you look at the likes of Italy, who are not even going to the World Cup. That's two in a row. To, right. Yeah, two. Because of losing to North Macedonia. You know, that's what I mean about, you know, on, on a day, any country is, is capable of, of beating anybody else. Um, so I, I, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, the, the nearer it creeps around to November, you from an English perspective, you, you clearly hope that once the season kicks off again, the likes of, you know, Harry Kane and, and players like that avoid injury um, and that, that Gareth Southgate, the England manager, picks the right sort of squad. He's, he's named a squad this week where he's, um, you know, given possible debuts to, uh, to I think, three people um, for the forthcoming Nations Cup games. I think we've got Italy and I think we've got Germany. I think there's one other game as well in the Nations Cup games coming up. There's a, and I'm, I'm not just saying it as a Bees fan, there's a lot of stuff on social media about the fact that no Brentford players were selected in the squad this week. The, the left-back, who's a, uh, a player called Rico Henry, and also Ivan Tony, the striker, uh, were names that people thought maybe not included for the World Cup squad when that's announced towards the end of the year, but certainly in games like this Nation Cup, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. the squad, could have, could have been included to give them that little bit of experience of what it's like to be called up to the England squad, you know, what happens within the squad, how does it all work, you know, that experience of, of being in the games and, and all that sort of thing, even if it's just a case of, of being on the bench, just being part of the England squad um, would be a massive thing. But, you know, Gareth knows best and it, it may well be that some other friendlies between the end of these Nations Cup games and the actual kickoff of the World Cup, one or two other players might get the opportunity to impress and, and show Gareth what they can do. Yeah, that's exciting. I know the Americans are very excited that uh, we made the World Cup this time around. Last yeah. last uh, cycle, it was uh, devastating. We uh, lost to Trinidad and Tobago in the playoff, I believe it was, and did not make it to the World Cup. It's an incredibly young team for the Americans. It might be one of the uh, youngest teams in the competition, um, the second or third youngest team uh, for the Countries going to the World Cup, so I don't know if a lot is expected, although they did get a um, what seems to be uh, a relatively good draw in their in their group. Um, I don't think anybody's expecting them to win the group, but uh, perhaps uh, make it through to the knockout rounds. But they are a young team, and I think they're maybe looking forward a little uh, four more years down the road or two years if what it, whenever they're going to be doing the uh, – the World Cups, which I think is a mistake to go to every two years, but hopefully they'll stay at four. I know that they were kicking that around, or if they already agreed mm -hmm. to do that. 
But anyway. no, no, not that I've heard as a definite decision because I, I think that would be too much because it just wouldn't give time for all the, the qualifying things and you know all that sort of thing, would it? No, because no. over here we have we have the European Championships every two years between the World Cup competition. So the World Cup is this year. Two years time, it'll be the European Championships. Then two years later, it'll be the World Cup again, and and so it goes on. Yeah, I think we have the Gold Cup or something in Concacaf. So okay. a lot. A lot of great things uh, to talk about moving forward. I'm really excited. Um, we were, uh, I think we talked about having you on the podcast a couple of times a month, uh, especially when the season gets started, to talk about uh, the the amazing. And Crawley, just to be clear, no Crawley Town players were called up for England to the World Cup. Um, you know what, Brent? I'd have to go back over the squad. Um, mm. I don't think any players, and not even Crawley Town commentators, were called up to the squad, which you know in itself is disappointing. It's a travesty. But I, I'm maybe closer to the time I'll get the call from the BBC to, to go out to Qatar and uh, maybe cover some of the games. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so we, we are very much uh, looking forward to having you on the podcast to talk all things, not only Crawley but uh, English football and the world cup and once again cannot thank you enough for joining me this this morning this afternoon for you and uh and discussing uh soccer with a rank amateur like myself but thank you so much for being here gary i really appreciate it you're very welcome thank you very much for having me and i hope everybody enjoys listening thank you